Hi there, and welcome to the latest edition of the Net Weekly Podcast, the independent Rangers podcast, which is brought to you by fans for fans, and where the content is absolutely free. It is episode 219 uh, of the Net Podcast. I'm your host tonight, I'm Colin Armstrong. Uh, as I say every week, guys, it's not just the, the, the podcast that we have here at Net. If you get onto the website, you'll, you'll find the, the forums is there articles, uh, there's a history archive on the website as well, so get yourself on that. We would also ask you, as I do every week, to, to, to promote the pod, put the word out there, subscribe to the YouTube channel, you know, let everybody know what, uh, that we're here and, and what we're doing. Uh, before I introduce my guests for tonight, uh, I have to mention our partners at Forest Precision Engineering. Uh, they're a subcontract Glasgow-based engineering company. Uh, they've been a big commercial supporter of Rangers Football Club for many years. Uh, we're delighted that they're back in the pod. Uh, if you want more information on them, get to their website at www.forestprecisioneng.com. You can also visit their... Uh, the stunning new lounge in the, uh, the the main stand, the hospitality area within the main stand. If that is tickling your fancy, uh, if that's something you would you, you would like to look at, then you can email the club uh, at hospitality at rangers.co.uk uh, and get information on that. Uh, so on to my guest for tonight. Uh, I'll, I'll bring in uh, the regular in first. I'll bring Stuart in. Uh, Stuart Weir, how are you doing, Stuart? Good evening, Colin. Yes, doing uh, absolutely fine. A bit chilled this evening, but uh, that part I can live with that with uh, the World Cup being on. Thoroughly enjoying myself. Wall to wall football, as they would say. I mean, I've, I have to say, I've not, I've not watched any of it so far. Uh, have you been enjoying it? Yeah, I have been. Either, well, most of the matches appear to be either 0 0 or 17 <laughs> 15. Um, and uh, there's plenty of goals and plenty of uh, talking points and um, you know I think now we're through the group stages we can sit back get the popcorn uh, and enjoy you know what the, the knockout stages bring uh, I, I mean I, I, before we move on I don't I don't think we can move on without mentioning uh, Doddy Weir who obviously you knew very well and uh, obviously passed away at the weekend and I, I know you were very involved with him uh, in recent years especially with his charity and stuff like that uh, has, has it kind of hit you yet? I mean uh, it must have been a sore I mean I know it was expected but you know it's still never easy um, I'll be I'll be honest Colin I'm not quite sure if it's hit me or not um, it's there just seems to be a, there seems to be a void there since Saturday afternoon I, I, I think I was I think I was more upset when he first told me in motor neuron disease because you know what the consequences are and what the inevitability is. Um, and I just, you know, I'm thankful that we had five absolute banging years with him um, yeah. when other people are less fortunate. Um, and, you know, the, the average between diagnosis and actual... Um, People know being here is only fourteen months, so Doddy, yeah. you know, exceeded that. The the one thing he did say was uh, just to prove his sort of black humour and how it was even darker um, sometimes was that he said that, uh, that myself and the fellow trustees signed up to be trustees for the foundation and the trust um, because we only thought we'd be doing it for about a year or eighteen months, and he managed to keep us tied up for for six years. So um, yeah, you know, you, you have to. I have to say, there's been more laughter than there has been tears, simply because it doesn't matter what you hear, you look, or what you see, or you know, even uh, when you're feeling a wee bit jaded, a wee bit tearful. 
you end up bursting out laughing because something funny will come into your head. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, the, the thoughts of everyone here at Cheersnet yeah, it, it goes it. with yourself, yeah, and his family and stuff like that. Yeah, I was, I was, I was actually at uh, the Stirling Uni game against Albion Rovers on Saturday yeah. watching that, and that's when. I had a wee look at Twitter after the, the final whistle just to sort of see what the reaction was to the result. And uh, that, that, that's when I found out. So, yeah, very, very sad news. Also joining us tonight uh, is, is we have an actual academic. We've got a professor. We've got Professor <laughs> Brian Howison, uh, who, you know, I mean, that, that level of intellect is unheard of uh, on, this, on this show. Brian, let me tell you, uh, you're on to, t- to talk about uh, your book, which is... Uh, Rangers Football Club, 1998 to 2015, a descent into chaos, a resultant chaos, and an emergence from chaos. Uh, so I think we can all take from the title that it's it's obviously about the club sort of plunging into administration and, and everything that came after that. And obviously 90, the fact that it's 1998, yeah. it's the build-up to that as well. You know, I, th- I think a lot of supporters, myself included, I think Stuart as well, uh, Frankie at the time as well, you know, some of us were involved in stuff like the Rangers Trust and all the rest of it. We had yeah. concerns about the, the, the direction the club was going. I certainly had concerns about where David Murray was taking us. Uh, and, and it's obvious that you cover that in the book. But, you know, I, I believe you're a Falkirk fan. Uh, can, I say a, can I say a couple of things there? Uh, I teach in Qatar twice a year. So I'm kind of interested in how the World Cup's playing out. Because right. I've, been, I've been watching this build up and see just how it's working. And secondly, I work at Stirling University Collins, so I've got quite friendly with Stirling University, the team. And going back to when they played Dunbar in the second round, we thought we could beat Dunbar. And uh, and then, lo and behold, the first Scottish University in the fourth round. So I think there's going to be a few buses going up to Tannadice (laughs) at the end of January from the university. So it's good. It's good. So that's that. Um, I did have a... a, 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 My boys' brigade badges are in the background. I am a Rangers fan. I used to have a season ticket holder at the Brox many years ago. I moved to uh, this area in about 2004, and actually I've developed a bit of a soft spot for Falkirk. For a club like Falkirk to be in the third team of Scottish football, it's pretty dire, but undoubtedly I keep an eye out for Rangers. Of course I do. No, see, I'm I'm the opposite. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm originally from Glasgow and moved to Falkirk in my sort of teenage years. Yeah. And I, de- I developed a deep hatred for Falkirk. <laughs> <laughs> just, just because, like a couple a couple of times uh, in the sort of in the, the sort of mid to late eighties and sort of early nineties as well, you know, you could when Rangers were playing there, I would I would get tickets for the home end and just sneak in. No, initially, you could go in with your Rangers scarf mat on, but then things got a bit tense. And towards the end, you know, I was hearing a lot of stuff that I thought, nah, actually, I don't like you guys very much. <laughs> well, what, I will, what I will say, Colin, I think some of the, the old firm teams get criticised for some of the behaviour, but I think I've heard worse at Falkirk. Some yeah, of the yeah. stuff that goes yeah. on is pretty yeah. dire, actually. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing's with the eyes on the pitch. Some of the things that are said are... And, Colin, you're right, I have wondered myself. I have, I think... You know, I will be there on Saturday watching Falkirk play Airdrie, but I have wondered myself. Yeah, well, that was. I mean, Falkirk, Falkirk, Airdrie, uh, Falkirk used to be one of my beats when I worked for an agency. So I did Falkirk one week, Airdrie the, the opposite <laughs> week, <laughs> and then every now and again the two of them would would meet, and and there was a real rivalry late eighties, yeah. early nineties yeah. between yeah. Falkirk and Airdrie. They absolutely, they absolutely despised each other, <laughs> um, and I I used to love. 
the old Brockville with the big sash windows and and everything about it. I, I mean, I I do have a soft spot for um you know for Falkirk. I, I don't mean a soft spot as in the middle of Fenwick Moor, but <laughs> you know I I I, I still I, I still. To look upon them as being kind of one of my teams, even. But you're absolutely right, Brian, and what you're saying there. I mean, it's it's probably as much of a a, a statement about Scottish football than it has anything to do with Falkirk, where where they find themselves just now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's where we are, really. Uh, but Rangers, the mighty Glasgow Rangers. Yeah. So, uh, giving you back, I, I just I was kind of interested in the motivation for writing the book. I mean, because I mean, obviously, there's there's one. A very famous book that's out there, but it's obviously got a very different slant, uh, you know, downfall, which is written by a Celtic fan. Uh, so, what was your motivation to, to, to sort of write the book? Did, did you feel that Rangers, through well, that whole I, period in terms of the, the media coverage and all that, got a hard deal? Did you want to write some wrongs? Well, all of that, I think, like most people, I remember on the 14th of February, 10 years ago, Rangers into administration. And I thought to myself, I, I can I remember sitting in the office watching the kind of uh, press conference of Duff and Phelps on the 16th, so the 14th was a Tuesday, and the 16th thinking, what is going on here? Just what is going on here? And I'm a business academic, Colin, so kind of interested in leadership and strategy and organisations. I just thought to myself, hold on, this is a pretty famous club. There's something really going on here. And then on the 5th of April, Duff and Phelps produced their first administrator's progress review. And it talks about the pedigree of Rangers in terms of the stadium, their history. I think, hold on here, just what is going on? Why does a club with this history and pedigree find itself in this situation? So I suppose as an academic calling or a footballer quite curious. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd always thought I wouldn't mind trying to understand a bit more. And I watched over the next couple of years and I thought, you know, I want to write about this. You're right to think, Colin. And I tried to make sense of it. It took a bit longer. And I think I have tried to explain, although it's so complex and complicated, there's more many parts of this. It's difficult to try and explain exactly what happened. But I think, I think I've got it exactly what happened. So, um, perhaps Colin, you know, as a bit of a boffin, we have kind of critical and analytical skills. What we try to do is sense make, then hopefully try and as you guys did in your book, um, the fall and rise is trying to maybe explain that to an audience what we think happened. So maybe it's more of a history book and maybe people will look back in years to come and think, goodness, that was quite a, because this was more than a, a PLC going into administration. This was corporate mismanagement that affected yeah. the lives of so many people. There were huge social and cultural implications to this story. And my next piece of work is to try and understand that a bit more. Why, when there is corporate mismanagement, how it affected so many people. And it's it's ongoing, Colin. It's still ongoing, yeah. the story. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned the, the book that we were involved with because yeah. Frankie's still not paid me for that, but we'll talk about that another time. It is good. Well, actually, that was, that was, that was, that was one of the, the, the first books I got. And that was of them all. I mean, downfall, in my view, I mean, there's some of that that is okay. The problem was the author clearly likes Sir David and clearly can't stand Rangers. And that emotion's there. And, and I've cited that 
it's that's why it's not a good book. Now, I think what I'm trying to do, if I do my job properly, Colin, I try to offer a bit of balance and objectivity. Yeah. Um, can I maybe can I maybe, yeah. maybe just interject there? I, I mean, you you've you've taken the history back to 1998 and mm. and and then go through the process of how how Rangers ended up where they were. Now. I, I, I've been able to piece together different parts of it, simply because I was I, I was involved and, mm. and covered all these different things. And from '98 onwards, there is—I I don't know if you agree or not—but there's almost a path that Rangers went along, where it was either you go left or you go right, and they somehow managed to take the wrong path or the wrong route and almost everything they did, if they take another direction, they would have been spared a lot of the, you know, the embarrassment and a lot of the pain and the agonies. But they seem to choose the wrong path and the wrong route, or they seem to choose the wrong uh, business model, or they seem to choose the wrong people to get involved with. I mean, it was, as you were saying there, and alluded to, there were all, there were so many moving parts, <laughs> and, and and the thing was, all of these moving parts were separate entities that had vested interests in different parts or different <laughs> bits of what was going on, and and for you to tie that together, you know, I think that's as you say, it's, a, it's maybe more of a history book. I mean, to be honest, it's it's one of these kind of fantasy horror stories for me. <laughs> yeah, well, Stuart. Well, I'll go back to that. I mean, Colin Armstrong and Stuart Franklin talk about perhaps when Walter Smith led, left in 98, he was a wise head. He was a wise head. And Colin and Stuart Franklin make that point. But what happened with me was, I think at the time, White was portrayed as a pantomime villain. So it must be White's fault. Everything must be White's fault. But once I started to think about this, I probably didn't want to start going into this in Sir David Murray's period, but actually we had to, I had to start looking at the context of why Craig White bought the club. And, you know, the club was in a pretty dire state, dire state, actually. So I found myself thinking, well, no one would really touch it apart from Craig White. And why was, why did no one want to touch it? And once you look at the club and the company, and that's a key point, Colin Armstrong and Stuart Franklin make the and a, and a, and a quote Dave Kinnan, he said, in many respects, Rangers were seen to be cheating, but actually the football club, they were victims of this as opposed to the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you look at it, a lot of, I think, in 1990 onwards, there was a decline there was a decline leading up to round about 2008 with the global financial crash and everything. There was this perfect storm, this perfect storm at play, and it just everything went south from then. But I think you can tra- trace this back to round about 1998. Yeah, that, that, I mean, you're talking about uh, Craig White being the pantomime yeah. villain there, and I'd, I'd, I'd really want to focus on David Murray here, yeah. if, 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 if I can. You know, you, you talk about that that sort of corporate decline, you know, under David Murray towards the end of his, his tenure. I would say, in, in my own opinion, I, I felt from about 
you know, when we stop signing players like Tori Andre Flo for yeah. 12 million and we were yeah. signing Claudio Canigia on a free for Dundee, yeah. That's, yeah. that's when I started to think, right, David Murray's losing interest here. Uh, you know, so I, I, I think you're right. I think there was a, a sort of disinterest from Murray. I think he took his eye off the ball towards the end. But also, you know, at the end, you know, he always claimed after, you know, the, the, the roof caved in after he sold to, to Craig White. He always said he, he, he was duped, you know, he was duped. That, 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 that was it. I mean, my personal view is he couldn't get rid of Rangers quick enough. You know, I think he had more interest in his, his own, you know, his, his metal industry, his, his business on that side. Yeah. He wanted to save that rather than, 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 than focus on Rangers. You know, what's your view? Is that, is that kind of yeah. how you see it? Well, I've not met the man. Was he duped? I mean, in the documentary, the men who sold the jerseys, and they wrote in the interview, Ian Fraser, who wrote the book Shredded. Ian Fraser makes, makes the point: you've got to be pretty up pretty early to catch out Sir David Murray. <laughs> what I think happened was um, early on in writing this book, there was a few things I had to get my head round. There is a clear difference between a company and a club. The club continues, that there's no doubt. A company operates the club. The company was the Rangers Football Club PLC. That ultimately was part of one of the many companies under the umbrella of Murray International Holdings. Now, I think there's clear evidence that around about 2006, Sir David said he would probably sell. And in the trial of Craig White in 2017, after the second big share issue in 2004, Murray International Holdings said they would no longer invest in the Rangers Football Club PLC. And in the book, I've asked an accountant colleague to run all the numbers from the annual reports of 1990 up to 2009. And there's clear, clear evidence that financially it wasn't in a good position at all. What happened, however, in the global financial crisis, the credit crunch, and one may argue that Gordon Brown, the Prime Minister, is involved here because what had happened was Gordon Brown did not want a Scottish bank to go under on his watch, Bank of Scotland. Gordon Brown then said to the chairman of Lloyd's TSB, you will buy a Bank of Scotland. So basically Lloyd's TSB bought HBOS, it became the Lloyd's Banking Group. This was a credit crunch. The Northern Rock was going under, so all banks wanted their money back. Lloyds look at the looked at the account of Murray International Holdings, and basically MIH owed Lloyds almost one billion pounds. Very few of us realised, I don't think, how caught up the football club, the PLC, was in this huge debt at Murray International Holdings. So Lloyds triggered what they called Project, Project Charlotte, and Project Charlotte actually dismantled MIH. And basically, it became in the trial of Craig in 2017, the deal was that Murray would keep his steel business and that's what made his money in the first place in the early to mid-70s, as long as he got short of Rangers pretty quickly. Now, Rangers owed 18 million quid, and the deal was if David Murray got short of Rangers, he would keep um, the steel business. So basically, in the trial of Craig White, there was no due diligence. It was pretty obvious that Sir David Murray would sell Glasgow Rangers to anyone, mm -hmm. to anyone. 
He just wanted shot of it. And I think there's clear evidence in that now. So Craig White came along and basically, no due diligence, toss of one coin across a desk for Glasgow Rangers. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, buying Rangers for a pound. So it was Sir David duped. Moreover, there was the EBT thing, which was this other thing, was a potential liability of about 50, 60, 70 million pounds. No one would touch Rangers with a barge pole, actually. And... Um, so was it duped? I don't think so personally. I don't yeah. think so. I think he mm-hmm. knew exactly what was going on and he wanted to actually get his steel back business back into Murray Capital. The whole thing, I mean, the whole thing about sorry, sorry the, whole, sure. the, thing about, the whole thing about being being duped and the due diligence part of things. I remember years ago there was a guy, John Miller, um I think his name John McKillop, really, um, who was a, an ex uh, squaddy who tried to um uh, kidnapped Ronnie Biggs, okay? And I was working in Motherwell at the time, and this guy came from Motherwell, and within about f- five hours, six hours, and set him into the next day, we knew everything about this guy, what school he went to, yeah, yeah. you know, who he hung about yeah. with in Motherwell and all the rest of it. Craig quite no, man, no matter who you asked, um. Nobody could actually put a, a mm. you know, nail this guy down as to his background or how, what, was he really a Ranger supporter and all the rest of it. I mean, I mean, you'll know, Colin will know, any Rangers fan know, if you're from a certain area or you, you work in a certain location or you live in a certain place, you will know the people who are Rangers fans. And if somebody doesn't know somebody else, then you go and ask, another person, and they'll certainly know who they are. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew who this Craig White was. Mm-hmm. And and I always found that particularly strange, given the fact this guy was now going to actually purchase Rangers, whether it was for a pound or whatever it was for. Now, that, I'm not saying I'm doing any due diligence there, but you're asking around, where is this guy's, you know, what, what are his sack credentials? And that's the point. No one probably, Stuart, weird, no one did ask around. There was a guy who came along, he looked fairly credible. He had some sort of, you know, referral letters from financiers in London, but the due diligence wasn't done. Actually, um, the gentleman who's, who who who, uh, who died recently, who was Craig White's lawyer, says he'd never been in a deal before where Murray was trying to sell this as quickly as possible. He just wanted it off his hands. Yeah, take it. And, it's, it's, it's funny. It's funny. That, it's funny. The, the thing that you talk about, Stuart, in terms of no one knew who he was. I can remember at the time, you know, when I was going to Ibrox and stuff like that. This, this was at a time when the Follow Follow fanzine was still getting sold as a, as yeah. a sort of magazine. Yeah. And I, I, I and I occasionally used to bump into Mark Dingwall yeah. in the corner of Copeland Road, and I, and I said to him one time, I was like, "So this guy White, what do you know?" And he's like, "We can't find anything on him." And he says, "And trust me, if there was anything out there." We would find it. He says, yeah. we literally cannot find anything to suggest that this guy's got any wealth. And that kind of made me think, well, that, that doesn't sound too good. And, and I think you're right, sure. I, the, the, there was there didn't seem to be any scrutiny. And I'm talking about from the mainstream media as, as well, in terms mm-hmm. of no one seemed to put enough scrutiny on the guy to say, well, actually, does this guy have the money? There was some dissenting voices from the board, I remember, so another round about the time John Gregg walked and, yeah, yeah. and a few others were, were expressing some some concern. But overall, I don't think there was enough sort of scrutiny on Craig White. I think at the board at the time were a bit worried about uh, the capital of the money Craig White have. 
Craig White's book, however, suggests, and I can see this point as well, the existing board, I think the board of the PLC that operated the club, they were a bit dysfunctional. And there's a suggestion by Craig White that some of the existing board wanted to place into administration and then they would buy it back in the same way that Craig White planned to do. So that was another dynamic as well, that what was going on with the politics. Certainly Mike McGill and um, his name will come to war actually with David Murray and there was people who were with the old board. It was a bit messy around about there as well, Colin. Right. So in, in terms of, there's, there's another organisation I think we, we need to cover, and that's HMRC, their, yep. their role in the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, now, like you say in the book, that Murray and uh, both David Murray and Craig White tried to settle with HMRC, yeah. you know, and they were very dogmatic. And yeah. I found it quite strange. I, I actually used to work with HMRC. I found it quite strange that so much uh, material was becoming public through that. Yeah. Twitter account that the the Rangers the bit, tax case Twitter bit, yeah the Rangers tax yeah. case yeah Twitter account so the, the, I mean that get, whoever it was was posting stuff left right and centre that I was thinking well that's commercially sensitive material how yeah. is that finding you know getting 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 into the public domain it's either coming from someone within HMRC or it's coming from within someone in the club who's who's, who's leaking this so I, f- I found that quite disturbing that, that stuff that was confidential. Was was getting sort of you know aired in, in yeah. public. Yeah. I also feel you know the, the the thing that we heard the whole time through the EBT thing was you know it's a test case because HMRC have a concern about a, a host of other clubs. I think it was up to forty two clubs in the UK <laughs> who were also using EBTs. Now since HMRC have won this case, I've not heard any other club get get their door rattled. You know yeah. in terms of asking about their use of EBTs and stuff like that. And there's also the thing that you mentioned in the book as well, you know, they've, they've, they've miscalculated, or it appears yeah. they've seriously yeah, miscalculated yeah, yeah. The, the amount. So their role in this is probable as well, and, and not in a good way, I don't think. No, it's not. And in many respects, I think there is, they are part of this just sorry, sorry, sorry story, the tale. I've tried to ask a few people because there was a suggestion going back to the, the Rangers tax case that this was being leaked by HMRC in Edinburgh and moreover HMRC in Edinburgh were all Celtic supporters. Is that true? I don't know, Colin. I don't know. I'm told, however, that it was being strategised by England. And at the time with the global financial crisis, there was no public money at all in HMRC were trying to get everything, everything back as possible. So I accept that it was coming from England, it was coming, uh, it was not coming from Edinburgh. But yeah, where were the leaks coming from? But HMRC, going back to the EBTs, there were 5,000 EBTs in operation at that time. They were legal. They were legal. Now, on balance, they should have been discretionary and non-contractual. But I think what we saw from the side letters, the way Rangers were using them, where they were contractual and non-discretionary. That being said, in every Rangers defence, I think it's very clear that Sir David Murray and Craig tried to say, well, look, you know, um, let's do a deal. And HMRC didn't. Um, and this contributed to the administration and the liquidation process. But now we found out later that HMRC miscalculated. So 
if the problem is calculated by two or three folds, the liability was never as much as we thought at the time. And if the calculations had been correct, perhaps other people would have come along with a better solution. So HMRC are one of the many actors in this drama. And, I, uh, I, I know I, at that point in time, um, I, I happened to one of my friends uh, uh, has a, another um, acquaintance who is an actual tax lawyer. Yeah. And and one of the things he said was when this became a test case was, yeah. and, I, and I asked him, how will this play out? Yeah. And he took me through different scenarios. And at the end of all these different scenarios, he said, I don't know. Yeah. Now, that, that basically is... When you sit down at a table on any given day, you can you could say, "Well, this is what we're finding today," but tomorrow somebody else will find compl- something yeah. completely different. And another thing he he did say was that he had tried to do something on the numbers and, num- and on the figures. I, I wouldn't say he was calculating on a fag packet, but he certainly he certainly worked out some spreadsheets and the likes about where Rangers had liabilities and how. And, yeah. Yeah, could be taken to task over, and he couldn't. He could not find the figure that HMRC were quoting, or had been quoted, or leveled at HMRC. That is what they were looking for. He could not find that um, that figure anywhere, or come to that figure. And as he said, if that figure that HMRC are demanding or think that they're entitled to is is the case, then Rangers. Are gone. There, there would be no coming yeah. back from Rangers. Yeah. No, n- n- none of this demotion and we'll yeah. come back under a different name and all that kind. Of, they would just be gone, yeah. and and their entire stock would just be you know taken in. HMRC would have sold Ibrooks or the site or whatever it was, and and there'd be no more Rangers. So he could never work out himself. And he's a pretty clever guy. I mean, he's he's one of these guys that only 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 works when you're actually standing in the dock, sort mm-hmm. of type thing. Yeah. Um. He, he he said then that it was it was probably um, and as much as everything that Craig White was kind of fantasizing about, then this whole tax issue, another fantasy that you couldn't, you know, you really couldn't get a handle on. And 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 that the one or two broadcasters, let's say, not naming names into this, and started making all sorts of claims and all sorts of allegations and the likes, when absolutely had they had no basis whatsoever. Because if I'm speaking to a guy who is one of the top legal minds when it comes to tax and uh, and the lights in Scotland and he can't um, you know get a handle on it there is not a hope in hell's chance that certain broadcasters or journalists can suddenly understand this they're basically sticking their finger and going like and see what way the wind blows and well, that's the way that they'll go one of the things I think that's a fine point Stuart one of the things that occurred to me was so much of the language around this was very casual and lazy and people were writing things and you know I've actually spoken to um, what's his name the Herald guy who interviewed me a couple of weeks ago Chris um, the reporter of the Herald Aye, and I said to Chris, you know, that Herald headline of 2012, uh, when Rangers born in 1872 died in 2012, for a so-called broadsheet, it was downright irresponsible, that. 
It was mm. irresponsible. And what's quite interesting, the same newspaper this year said that Rangers were celebrating their 150th anniversary. That suggests to me there was a lot of editorial confusion. But the language at the time, people were coming out with all sorts <laughs> work, of stuff. I worked there. I worked there. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? Yes. But that yeah, I was. Ooh. <laughs> no, but uh, you may have run that. But there was a lot of stuff, but it just come on, come on, you're a broadsheet. Just think about what you're saying here, here really. And uh, that's why a lot of Celtic fans say the club's dead. And then they'll show you the picture of the Herald from 20, June 2012. Uh, so there was lots of, you know, sensationalist stuff going on. And and it's not till you look back at that, you realise, goodness, this was a bit all over. There were so many things that play all at once here, yeah, Colin. Yeah. What you're saying there is absolutely true, Brian, because around that same time, for want of a better description, the arse was dropping out the newspaper business. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. People were desperate to make headlines and just grab any kind of audience they could because they suddenly realised that electronic media, be it online, be it in TV, be it in radio, were beating them to the punch every single time. And and they they took they took drastic measures to try and, and yeah. keep hold of the audience that they had. Hence the reasons why you get the headlines like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in, in terms in terms of Craig White, Brian, uh, you're actually, you know, to to, to sort of uh, semi-quote you, so to speak, you, you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt and all of this. Uh, it would be I good do. to get your sense now because I think you might be the only one who's I know. <laughs> to give well, them the benefit I, of doubt. Actually, I gave this kind of free public lecture at the University of Stirling a couple of weeks ago and this point caused a lot of angst uh, because a lot of people just think he's a scoundrel. Um, what I will say, I, I could it, think of harsher words to go and say, Brian, <laughs> but, in it, but in his trial in 2017, he was found not guilty of, you know, there was no criminality here, uh, no criminality at all. What do I think? He was very politically naive. I think he thought he could come up to Glasgow. I think he could put a management team in this and run this. Now, when he picked up Rangers, Rangers were costing round about 45 million a year, but they're only bringing in 35 million a year. So he talks about this 10 million quid. I think he accepts. I think most of us at the time knew that a lot of the contracts from Rangers were going out to Sir David Murray, the ticketing, the IT, uh, the marketing, the catering. And I think he quite thought that actually, actually, it was never going to be about, in my view, for the long term. But, you know, he's a businessman and he restructured organisations. He had some experience of that. And I just thought, why do people buy football clubs? They have egos by his own admission. Maybe he was going through a midlife crisis. I think... Okay, I think I can make this work. If I can sort out the Sir David Murray contracts, I think I could possibly break even without Europe. Without Europe. He would try and build it up over two or three years and sell it on for profit. The problem he had was twofold. First of all, I mean, Ali McCoyst inherited a championship winning side from Walter Smith. And six weeks later, two months later, they were out of both European Cups. Craig White lost £10, £15 million pounds of revenue. 
And the second thing, the first tier tax tribunal for the EBT, I think they quite thought would happen before Christmas of 2011. It was delayed till 2012. They quite ran out of money. Um, he makes the point in his book that you don't make money by using your own money, you make by money by using someone else's money. What did he do? He borrowed money off ticketers to pay off the £18 million and he ran out of money because they went out of Europe. In the in the trial of Craig White, Donald Finlay, now Casey, makes that very point. If Rangers had got through either the Champions League or the Europa League of 2011 and brought additional revenue in, would Rangers have gone into administration? Who knows? Um, he quite clearly knew what he was doing. He had a backup for every eventuality. And I think the idea was if they went, if they lost the big, the, the big tax case, he would put the club into, meaning the, the PLC into immediate administration and he would blame, he would blame the previous board. So I think I will give, give him the benefit of doubt. I think he was just a bit politically naive. I don't think he knew what he was getting involved in. Um, but there was no criminality and, who knows what would have happened if we had got through Europe. And Mr McCoyst, in my view, I've never met the man, but in my view, probably could have done better that summer in terms of the Champions League and the Europa League. And I was there a few weeks later when Falkirk put Rangers to the sword um, that night. So, but yeah, yes. the, the, the interesting part there that you talk <laughs> about, and I don't think enough people have, have recognised that and the component parts that go into it, the chronology of of what White was trying to do yeah. was absolutely key. And, and uh, you know, again, another roll of the dice and things might have panned out for him. Yeah. Uh, an away goal against Malmo and yeah. certainly Rangers are in a different a different ball game totally. And I think that I think that, that whole chronology of when the tactics case was coming around and when Rangers were playing the key matches they, they they fell between different stools and and that just that just basically meant he'd nowhere to go. He didn't, and he ran out of money. He just ran out of money, and people said he was trying to evade, but he said he just ran out of money. Moreover, uh, no banks would touch football clubs at the time. He could not get a bank a bank account from anyone. There was quite a lot of sniping going on at the time from the old board, and I do believe that there was lots of sniping going on. The old board speaking to the various um, the media. Craig White had pretty poor PR. He didn't help himself either. He was a bit too elusive. And he should have, he should have, I think, been a bit more honest about this. Because when Sir David bought Rangers in, when was it, 1988, he borrowed money from the Bank of Scotland, £6 million to buy the club, and £8 million, or the PLC, I keep on saying that, and £8 million off the overdraft. So he borrowed money off the bank to buy Rangers. Craig White borrowed money off another financial institution to buy the PLC. So... But he gambled on A, getting through Europe, and B, this first-tier tax tribunal, the big tax case coming before Christmas, both those things went against him. Mm-hmm. And if they hadn't gone against him, we might have been in a different situation now. So 
coming back to where we started this this conversation, gentlemen, it was just it was this perfect storm. Everything was happening at once. As you said, Stuart Weir, there's so many moving parts. I remember washing the dishes of an evening, listening to Clyde and trying to super scoreboard and trying to get my head around what was going on here. And I just think, goodness, there were so many different things I didn't understand. I'll give you, a, I'll give you an example. Rangers paid 12 million quid for Tor Andre Foles, okay? Yeah. Rangers yeah. didn't have 12 million quid. No, they didn't. But in paper talk, 12 million quid. Yeah. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst was supposed to go the following summer or the, the next transfer window or whatever it was, he was going to go to Chelsea and that he was the mate waiting that deal. So it was a paper transaction. Instead of that, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst didn't fancy Chelsea and went to Arsenal. Rangers ended up getting a lesser fee and all of a sudden Rangers have got a, a, a gap in their budget of X number of million yeah. pounds and there is no way of plugging that gap because yeah. what would have been a, a, a balancing act suddenly you know you've suddenly taken one part part of that out of the equation and Rangers instead of being break even are suddenly like five million or six million down on, on a particular deal. And that happened on several occasions through yeah. different transfers and different different uh, deals that Rangers did at that time. And again, as I said, you know, as you were pointing out there, Rangers, Rangers tried to, under Sir David Murray, Rangers were trying to do different bits of business and almost got it right. And had they got it right, Rangers would never be in the, the state they were in. Um, and 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 I think that part of it is is for me is you suddenly realise how you know it's a game of jeopardy you're play, playing and in, in, in terms of running a football club. Well, absolutely. And the more I started to think about it, the actual periods, Stuart, between '98 and 2011. Just looking at the history of Rangers, it's so so interesting. It's so interesting. And actually, who was the chap again? I can't remember his name. It's in the book. Who predicted this in 2001? What's his name? The ex-director who fell out with David Murray. Oh, Hugh. I, I, yeah, yeah. Ogilvy. Ogilvy. I, no, no, um, no Ogilvy. It's in the book. Odam. 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 Yeah, um, he predicted that Rangers would go bankrupt, actually, in 2001. Hugh Adam. Hugh Adam. Hugh Adam. Yeah. And um, uh, what's kind of interesting, I've had a couple of DMs from people in the financial services sector saying that they became increasingly aware of the debt Murray International Holding was building up from about 2005 onwards, but the media never realised this, and many of us didn't. I don't think many of us really realised, and that's probably one of the take-homes from the book. The take-home messages, gentlemen, is perhaps no matter which club you support, do you really understand, A, who's in charge of your club, B, the kind of debt you're carrying and what their agenda is? And I think this is so important, and maybe there are huge, we can all learn from this, this whole Ranger story. But, you know, just like this, we could sit and talk about this all night. It is just yeah. a fascinating story. There's so many actors in this drama. I it's incredible. I think the point you make about ownership is, is quite pertinent when you consider, especially down in England, you know, the, 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 the sort of, the oligarch, you know, the, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah. you know, your Qatari owners that are coming in for, you know, not totally nice reasons to, to own football clubs. So yeah, it is, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I will say that 
I started to worry about in 2001, 2002. And that's when I started to get concerned about David Murray and, and how he was running the club. And it uh, turns out I was right. So uh, so thanks for joining us, Brian. That was great. I might see you at the next round at Tanner, they sent you, because uh, yeah. my, ma- my mate's a lecturer at Stirling Uni. Uh, I don't know if you know him, Paul DeMille, uh, Professor Paul DeMille. I do, I do, uh, I, do, yeah, I, do, so I, do th- I do. I do know Paul quite well, actually. So I was, that's who I was with on, on Saturday. So I might, I might go with his... Uh, uh, for for the cup tonight, Tana. They say I was I was messing him last night. So but if I don't, good luck. Ho- hopefully, he's get through. And thanks for coming on tonight. So that's uh, Brian's book, Rangers Football Club, uh, nineteen ninety eight to two thousand and fifteen. A descent into chaos, a resultant chaos, and emergent from chaos. Uh, it's available in all good bookshops and and some shite ones as well. And so thanks, Brian. And Amazon. And, and, oh, Amazon. We don't mention them. Oh, they don't pay tax. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jen. They but they sell they sell books. They sell they books. Do. That's for sure, yeah. <laughs> but hey, tell you what, gentlemen, thank you very much for having me on, and uh, it's a great pleasure. So, thank you, and I wish you well. Thanks for your time, Brian. Great. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Thank you. Bye bye. Right, Stuart, so, on to. So, we've, to had a, we've had a professor on in Europe shoulders with professors. And yeah. here's, here's me with my city and guilds and engineering. Who'd have thought yeah. it? I've not even got a set of goals, mate. I don't know. I don't know what that boy sees in me, that Paul the Meal boy. But you know, I've, I've, I used to play football with him, so yeah, I, I, I kind of go to various games with him. So yeah, he's a he's a good lad. Uh, on the Giovan Van Bronckhurst thing, in terms of going to Chelsea that he didn't do, you, you try to say that he humped us twice. Now is that is that what you're saying? No, I, I do. I, I just I, I just think that, you know it was that was the kind of that was the kind of rumor at that time and. Yeah. Um, but then, then again, you have to understand at that particular time, you suddenly had agents doing deals away from football clubs. Up until that point, you know, up until the mid the mid nineties, deals were done in a certain fashion, and then you had the whole Bosman thing coming into play, yeah, and yeah, agents yeah, yeah. started dealing, wheeling, and dealing. So there was a, it was, it was very, very, very. Dirty water, let's say. I, I wouldn't say muddy. I would say dirty, um, and and there were all sorts of various things, you know, happening, and you know, here, there, and everywhere. And and a bit like yourself, I think as soon as Dick Advocate realised there was no more money, he he was a he was a big yeah. sounding like klaxon. He was the alarm bell for me that things have changed at Rangers. They they have no money, and and and. You know when when Alec McLeish come in and takes over, and you find out how he what the pay structure suddenly becomes, given what Advocat was earning and what he now is earning, and the players that he was able to sign or yeah. the guys did sign. I mean that that period in time, it was like this is this is how Rangers. This was the, the, the sort of Harrods version, and now you were doing to like what every woman wants. Um, sort of version of events. Uh, on to the, the sort of news of, of Michael uh, Michael Beal. Uh, you know, I think he was announced. So yesterday or today? Yesterday, right? It was yesterday. Hi, I'm losing. I'm losing track of the week. I think so, it was six I mean, weeks ago when he came up to that <laughs> game in the Yeah, that looks a bit poor now. I think, for, for all being honest. Yeah. Uh, do you think he's? Is you know. Do you think he's the right man for the job? There's been a lot of speculation over the last few weeks. A, a lot of supporters have been sort of looking for him. Some less convinced. You know, if, 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 for example, you got any concerns? One of the things I think Alan McCoy mentioned, I think it was today, was 
a wee bit concerned about his lack of managerial experience, conveniently ignoring Walter Smith's lack of managerial experience when he took the job. And indeed, his own lack of oh, yeah, managerial experience. Yeah, absolutely. Job, but, you know. and, uh, and a certain Mr. Soonis' lack of yeah. managerial experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my take on this, Colin, is that when when Michael Beale um, gave up or, or passed up on the Wolves job, I, I there will be people um, who will vouch for me saying this. He's He is not interested in that because he's waiting to see what happens with Rangers. Okay, yeah. and people will say that's a lack of ambition. Why not go to a Premier League team? This, that, the next thing. There are there are several reasons. One, he knows what Rangers are like. He knows what it's like to be part of the management team there when there's fifty thousand people in that stadium. He, he wouldn't get that way, you know, with three quarters or or, or seven eighths in the English Premier League. You just wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't get that. European football, European football, I think he's a guy who sees that as being a benchmark of what you can achieve. Because Rangers' upturn in European football started under Gerard and Beale and that coaching uh, that coaching team. And uh, subsequently, what, what better for Giovanni Van Bronckhorst? And the other thing about Rangers fans I would have to say is, Van Bronckhorst wasn't in work, hence the reason why Rangers could get him. Now, you either say, well, there's somebody there who's available and free, or you go and headhunt and talent spot. Rangers have done the latter with Bill. He's actually in a job and doing a, a, a fairly reasonable job where he was at Queen's Park Rangers and has obviously attracted the attention of likes of Wolves and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and others have looked at him as well. So you can't have it. You cannot have it both ways. You cannot say... He's not what we're looking for when that's he's one of the guys that you could actually afford to buy out of a contract. There are other managers out there, but they're way you, you'd be like kids looking in the window of a sweetie shop, or we'd like him, or we'd like that, or we'd like that. You just couldn't afford it. And there has to be a realization there of what is affordable to Rangers. Otherwise, you then go down the route of guys who are unemployed. Why are they unemployed? Because they didn't do a decent enough job in the previous club they were yeah. at. And 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 you know, and I always found I always find that, you know, it's it's, it's like a it's like a, a, a merry-go-round or a, a spin the bottle exercise. It'll point at somebody and you go, Oh, I, he's the guy. Why is he the guy? Because he's free and he's available. And that for me is never the criteria for employing anybody. You should be going for the person that either you can afford or the one you specifically want. And I think in this occasion, Major have probably done both in going for, for Michael Beale. And and I also would say it's, it's nice to see that he's been he's been uh, rebranded. This Mick Beale. Mick Beale, yeah. yeah. Mick Beale was like, anyways, it, it took me back to you know Kevin Kevin Drinkle bringing his dad up to see a game and saying, yeah, you've scored some goals, son, but they don't really know who you are. They keep calling you Billy. That's because <laughs> they don't have any Kevin's here, dad. <laughs> so, so, so I, I, I mean, I, I, personally, I, I think, I, I think he's as good as, as Rangers can get. And I think there needs to be a realisation of where Rangers actually are just now. Um, the, 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 They've lost the some of the substance and fabric of the squad they did have, and never actually properly replaced it. Um, you know, 
Calvin Bassey, Rangers get 23 million quid for a guy. Great. Rangers could have gone and spent 30 million quid and still not come up with the players that or the player that, that he was. You know, the guy was a, a, a fantastic player. I said right at the start of that season, he could be a Rangers star man. Lo and behold, he then moves to Dutch football and a, and a, a, a great club like Ajax. I, I, I think the recruitment side of things have let Rangers down. And I think that's why the the the, the board at Ibrox have looked to Mike, Michael Beale again and thought to themselves, well, actually, he, he's a pretty good... Um, he, he could identify certain players that we managed to get who did us a job. And right at this minute in time, you're looking for Rangers to try and unearth another few of those players and, and hope they can do a shift between now and the end of the season. In terms of his, you know, his immediate priorities, I think it was Sky Sports he was on today, sort of saying that the first thing he wants to look at is the injury situation. He also spoke about making sure that the players are there are, you know, committed. They they, they want to remain at the club. They want to be part of it. You know, probably in a, he's probably in a bit of a dodgy territory at the moment. He'd be talking about loyalty, but you know that that that's another issue. Uh, but in, in terms of your view and things, Stuart, what do you think he needs to deal with first? I mean, obviously the January window's coming up. I'm, I'm assuming he'll be wanting to do some business in, 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 in that point as well. So the, the the entry, what's the very sort of first two or three things that he sort of needs to deal with? I think I think the injuries that Ranger have built up are are questionable. You know, Rangers. Every football club gets gets guys that are you know injured, but I think the catalogue of injuries that it may be just coincidence with Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, absolutely. But I go back to the last season. Rangers played extra time in a European tie and then beat Celtic in extra time in a Scottish Cup tie. Rangers played a European final in extra time, and then. Won the Scottish and Cup final, heat. and then won the Scottish Cup final. Now, for me, I think there was a, 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 a kind of resi- residual fitness in that squad of what was built up under um, Stephen Gerrard and Gary McAllister and the likes, and they were still they were still fit at that point point in the season because what, you, you reach a certain limit of fitness, you can't become any fitter if you're playing Wednesday, Saturday, Thursday, Sunday sort of type thing. We have a pre-season, Rangers come back. How many times have you looked at Rangers and thought, you have no gas left in the tank, that you're running in empty? And I think Rangers are found out in, in the league at times this season when they've had nothing more in the tank to give, when really they should have been out running. You can always outrun a team in opposition. It doesn't matter. It's not all down to talent. You know, you only need to be having followed Rangers long enough to remember that some of the teams that Jock Wallace put out, they might not have been the greatest footballing sides in the world, but by God, nobody ever beat them in fitness. And and I I, I think that part of it, the, the, injuries, the injury side of that is part of this basic lack of fitness that suddenly suddenly worked its way in Ibrooks. And I and I, I think as well that the players he needs to identify he he wants to know what players are going to be loyal to him and loyal to Rangers. That's fine. He also needs to identify the ones that he doesn't think are going to carry that. And it's more his position rather than in ground saying 
Do you want to play for me? Do you want to play for me? It's more his new, his newfound position to get in that dressing room and say, I don't fancy you, I don't fancy you, and I don't fancy you, and this is why. Now, if he has it out with the players, he might spark some sort of reaction, and he really has to. But I, I think the recruitment-wise, the, the, there's some... There's some really good servants at that, in that team and have done well for Rangers over a, a period of time. I think they're in, I wouldn't say their last legs, but age-wise, you cannot, you cannot, for me, be making plans for the future when you're basing your first-team squad around guys who are 37, 30, you know, 35, 36, 37, 38. That is going nowhere. That's going back to the realms of John Gregg in the early 80s. And you saw what happened then. Rangers can't afford that to happen this time around and really have to, you know, replenish their squad and, and quickly as well. In, in terms of if he does get that spark, you know, if there is a reaction, uh, and there was some footage today on, on social media training, and already there seemed to be a bit more zip in terms of the play and, and the tempo and stuff like that. If he can get a reaction and, and if he can do the right deals in January, uh, you know, many have written off the title. Do, do you think there is still a chance if he can get these players back up firing that Rangers can put in a title challenge? R- R- Rangers could win two old firm games and they're right back in, back in the mix. That, that goes without saying. The problem that Rangers have is that they might actually win a couple of firm games and then drop points again to Motherwell or Hearts or, you know, Hibs or whoever it might be. The the lack of consistency and the lack of, a, a, you know, Rangers would be in a better place, put it this way, they'd be in a far better place if they had seven out of ten every week performances from everyone than a nine out of ten one week and a four out of ten the following week, and and I think that level of consistency, he needs to get that back and instill that that every game that you get in play from now to the end of the season is going to be a cup final. It's going to be a cup final for Rangers, but it's also going to be a cup final for you. And unless you perform to that level, you ain't going to be here. Uh, and I mean, in terms of one final point before before we wrap up for tonight, Stuart. Uh, and, it, and it's a way for, for the sort of Michael Beale stuff. Uh, more sort of litigation issues, you know, announced that the, the organisers of the Sydney Cup are taking legal action against Rangers. I've, I've seen it suggested that the club's already settled and it's going to cost around £3.5 Don't quote me on that. That's just sort of what I'm seeing. Uh, you know, and this is on top of the, the action that Elite Hummel, you know, they, they have taken out uh, action against the, the, the club as well. You know, based on the conversation we've just had with, with Brian about the club moving forward and coming away from that sort of chaotic part of its history, you know, it, it just feels like every now and again, it feels like we're, we're, we're recovering, we're moving forward and then this sort of thing comes along and it feels like we're, we're stumbling again and you get the feeling that, you know, the AGM is next week, it's the 6th of December, I believe, so you get the feeling that, you know, given the, the situation with Giovanni Van Bronckhurst and where we are in the league, you know, some of the, the Champions League performances, you know, the, the the sort of cost of the ticketing for the Champions League, and now this announcement that the club's been taken to court again, uh, it feels like it's going to be an, an eventful AGM next week. 
Rangers fans, um, as a as a you know, in their entirety, I'll I'll, I'll say, um, you pay your money as a season ticket holder, or you pay your money to go and watch Champions League football for a reason because one, you want to be there and you have to pay to be there, but secondly, you hope your money will benefit the club. Football fans are fickle. It's dead. It's a dead simple equation. I'd give you money. You buy players and pay these players. Rangers fans are are not and not just Rangers fans, but fans in general. They do not pay their hard-earned cash for you to then, for want of a better description, piss it up against a wall fighting legal cases to do with non-appearance in tournaments and who who sold what kit in what shop. That is not what you pay your money for. And and that is draining any goodwill that Rangers had with the, the board. Stephen Gerrard winning the title and, and Rangers getting to a European final and all the rest of it. The, 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 the board... Ibrooks, just like Giovanni Van Bronckhorst didn't have any, you know, anything in the bank this season, despite what happened last season. I think the board need to re- re- realize that and recognize that as well that they don't have any kudos at all with the with the support because they're being judged year on year on year. And when you have a season like last season. And everything that goes into, well, we've earned this amount of money, except we haven't really earned this amount of money. We've only earned a percentage of that big amount of money because we just want to make it sound good for the newspapers and the television. That is, you're, you're, you know, you're running through a, a minefield and you start that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of line and that kind of caper. And, and you know, I, I think all in all, the Rangers board are going to come under more scrutiny because there's still a, an element of people thinking that they let Van Bronckhorst down because the money that was that Rangers brought in for players, he never really had a chance to spend. And also, come back to Stephen Gerrard, would Stephen Gerrard still have been the manager had he been able to recruit the way he wanted to recruit? And that points the finger back at the board. So, the, yeah, if they get a tough time of it next week at the AGM, then a lot of people will be saying it's deserved. We'll call time there. Uh, so a big <laughs> thanks to Stuart uh, and a big thanks to Brian for uh, his, his stuff earlier on in the book. Uh, the book, of course, is Rangers Football Club 1998-2015, A Descent into Chaos, a Resultant in Chaos uh, and an Emergence from Chaos, available in all good bookshops and Amazon, as uh, as Brian pointed out earlier on. Uh, we were live tonight, guys. Uh, we were live on the Tuesday night, uh, but the pod will be available to download and stream on a variety of platforms from tomorrow including Acast, iTunes, YouTube, CastBox, Stitcher, Spotify, your usual places. Uh, don't know when the next show is going to be on, obviously with the World Cup going on at the moment. Uh, Eck and Brian have been doing some stuff, so I'm sure something will be popping up through the week and we'll get the normal shows back up and running, obviously, when uh, there's one tomorrow afternoon. I'm just I'm just hearing, there you go, I'm new to all this malarkey. Uh, so a show tomorrow afternoon, I'm assuming that's with Eck and Brian. Uh, talking about the World Cup. Uh, in the meantime, get yourself onto the Jersnet website and forums at www.jersnet.co.uk. Uh, and until the next time, bye for now. <laughs>